Welcome to WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kierstead. We've got our weekly uh, segment here with the New Hampshire Bulletin. Get more from them at NewHampshireBulletin.com. Uh, this week, we have reporter Amanda Goki returning. Welcome back. Hi, AJ. Thank you for having me. So a uh, an issue that so around this whole issue in Ukraine with Russia and such has been all sorts of various impacts when it comes to uh, gas prices, uh, economic problems with uh, grain shortages and fertilizer and all sorts of things like this. But cyber attacks are also increasingly becoming an issue. And you uh, recently spoke with uh, let's get his name right. Is it Jason Scro? How do you pronounce his name? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I think that's right. The right pronunciation <laughs> over at the Adam Group, which is a cybersecurity consulting firm. Uh, what was that about? Yeah, so this was a this was a really interesting um, interview with Jason, and he was basically saying another concept of the Russia Ukraine conflict is that New Hampshire has seen a pretty dramatic increase in cyber attacks. And what they're seeing is there's a lot of novel um, technology that's emerged. And, and he was explaining that when there's a conflict like this, both sides are kind of ramping up their attacks, but then the technology is out and available in the world. Um, and so, you know, opportunistic threat actors can can use it and direct it um, wherever they like, regardless of whether it's to do with that conflict at all. Um, so normally, he says, New Hampshire, in a, in a typical year, they'll see two to three sort of novel technologies um, that are used to, to attack, um, you know, individuals or municipalities government here. Um, and so far this year, in just 60 days, he was saying they've seen about a dozen. So so that's, you know, two or three years worth of of new technology condensed into this very short time frame, which, you know, can make it really hard to to respond. From a technology standpoint, it makes a ton of sense that it would be able to do this. I mean, it seems like when the Ukraine situation started taking off, people forgot how much cyber um, cyber crime that takes place out of that part of the world. There's so many hacking attempts that take place from there. When you, when as, a, as someone who manages some websites, you look at the like where a lot of IP addresses are coming from. So many of them are from. Um, uh, Western Russia and Ukraine and that whole Eastern European bloc. There's so much of that. And when you add in the chaos and anarchy that comes with a war situation where, oh, by the way, our data centers are still up. The conflict isn't happening here. And now's our chance to kind of capitalize on it and cash in while we can. Yeah. And so he was, Jason, in our interview, was really emphasizing, you know, what steps municipalities and individuals here in New Hampshire can can take to protect themselves. Um, and it was interesting because although some of the new technology was unfamiliar to me, the at least the first step he recommended was something that I have heard so many times, and I'm sure many people are familiar with as well, which was just two-factor authentication authentication. So it's the kind of, it's a little annoying because, you know, when you go to like log into your email, you have to validate your identity by clicking through a link on your phone. And, and that kind of gives you the green light to go ahead. But he was recommending, you know, for municipalities, if there's someone who's dealing with banking information or has access to like a town manager type person, they should really have that up on their accounts just as an additional safeguard against, against these new technologies. And another one, he said that, um, <laughs> that I, that landed at home for, uh, hit home for me was 
to run your updates on your computers. I personally am atrocious. Uh, hopefully there's no hackers listening right now, but I am so bad at, at running those because, you know, I just put it off and put it off, but actually, you know, a lot of times those updates, Jason was telling me they have, um, you know, important patches. They, they fix, you know, if there's a, a weak link in, in your computer software, it, it, actually will fix that for you. And um, so those are really important to stay up up to date on those kinds of things. And if you're managing or a staff member at a government office, you think of all the records you end up going through your computer or just documents you're connected to because of your file servers, the websites you visit. Definitely, the, I, I 100% support what he's saying as, as someone who's also uh, partially an IT professional too for a full-time job. It, it's the two-factor authentication is huge. Like, if your password's ever compromised, say you're the town manager of some, uh, some town in, in New Hampshire, this makes sure that this person can't just continue to do whatever they want to do, access your email and such. It's not that hard to track down just general services that you use because they all talk to each other nowadays. And the other thing that I learned from this interview that was kind of terrifying, but I think important for people to know is your information, your email, your accounts can be compromised without there being sort of a dramatic tell. So if somebody has, you know, accessed your account, you might see sort of there's there's an audit essentially process that you can do and run to, to see. And that's called dark web scanning. And, and Jason was also men mentioning dark web intelligence to sort of figure out which accounts are potentially compromised and then to, to secure those accounts. Um, but a few things he said to, to keep watch out for, if you see sort of suspicious looking login information, someone looks like they're logging into your account from another country, for example, um, that's something to pay attention to. That's a potential red flag, as well as um, if you have logins that happen from multiple locations at the same time, that's another sort of sign that Somebody could be in that case, they might they might not have taken money, for example, or threatened you in some way, but they could be able to review those documents and have access to information that, you know, you, you might not want to be to be out there and available. Publicly. Data equals money. It's the whole business model that Facebook and Twitter and Google all operate on. So protect your data as much as possible. And uh, as as I always got to bring up, anytime we're talking about cybersecurity in the state is what happened to Peterborough where they lost millions of dollars because of a cybersecurity issue that they had. Yeah, and and I talked about um, that came up in in this in this um, reporting as well. And you know what what Jason was really saying is after Peterborough, that, that really should be a call to action to other, you know, municipalities, sort of local governments around the state, um, that they do need to take these steps to inc improve their security, because otherwise they're, they're sort of he, what he called like their softer targets. It's easier to, um, for them to fall prey to this kind of attack. And, the concern that he was underlying in this interview was that we really haven't seen that. We really haven't seen a significant increase in people being ready for this and municipal governments being ready for these kind of attacks. And that's that's concerning. Yeah, definitely. I'd imagine funding has something to do with it. And I mean, on the state level, it's. I always dread the days I see a state computer come through the office <laughs> where we need to figure out what's wrong with it because it, it's either so locked down that the user can't function on it 
or it, which which is the balance you need to reach or it's just completely open and there's just a disaster of software running on the computer it's 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 difficult and it's expensive to maintain it i mean it definitely suggests anyone who operates an office environment whether it's a municipality or a business small business or a larger business for that matter make sure you have someone that occasionally reviews your your cybersecurity and that you're running what you need to on your computers to keep them up to date the two factor there there are companies in the state that'll help you with this <laughs> So let's move over to what's been going on over at the State House of late. They've, uh, although it's been quiet over on Main Street, there's been many things still going on over there. Uh, it looks like for for starters, lawmakers are looking to revive some uh, farmers market assistance, but it looks like at a greatly reduced rate from what was originally proposed. Yes. So this was originally a bill that would have granted $300,000 for um, what's called WIC, a WIC program. It's, you know, for low income um, mothers and their children. It's a program that helps them access healthy foods that they that they need. Um, And it was reduced from originally at $300,000 going to the program uh, to just $30,000 going into the program. The prime sponsor of this is Senator Becky Whitley. She's a a Democrat from Hopkinton. She was the one who originally proposed this, and she actually seemed to be on board with this change. Um, The sort of director of this program for the Division of uh, Public Health Services did say, that this amount would help cover the administrative costs to get the program going. And they're not really on a timeline to start buying the food for this year anyways. Um, They would have to have everything up and running by July 1st to do that. And at this stage, they they don't have, that's only a month away essentially at this point, and they didn't have time to do that. So the 30,000 will allow them to really establish the program, kind of cover those those administrative costs, print out the coupons that that they would need, and then, request that additional $270,000 just as a part of their normal budget process, which we will look forward to next legislative session. And I'm guessing uh, the reason why this was proposed is kind of support local businesses a little more than just passing off all the money to Market Basket. Yeah. So the SNAP program, which is sort of like the food stamp program, that one, um, there has been similar legislation to allow people to redeem their their SNAP benefits at farmers markets. And that's been a, a successful program from what the testimony sort of highlighted. Um, you're right. It gives people the option of, of buying locally and it does sort of pass that on. It kind of keeps those dollars in, you know, it puts them into the hands of, you know, local, um, local farmers. These, um, these programs also receive, you know, federal support, some of it's state funded, but there's federal match programs where a lot of federal dollars come to these programs. So it has that benefit of boosting the local economy when when these programs are up and running because we can accept those federal dollars and then funnel them into, you know, local economy. So this this bill would uh, operate somewhat similarly to that. An added little community side effect to it also is you, you tend to visit local places or go to community events to 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 utilize this sort of thing which which would help the local economy even more and possibly offer opportunities that people may not realize if they're just going to the regular corner store or whatever for for food yeah absolutely i think you know the farmers markets especially as we're in this part of the year really starting to get underway and they do have that sort of community gathering um 
effect and, and it would, it would bring these, you know, it would give more people an excuse to, to go there and, and shop there knowing that they would be able to redeem these coupons, um, with, you know, neighbors and, and, and people, um, that they, that they know locally. So, uh, what's the latest when it comes to, uh, congressional district mapping? It's, uh, it's something I'm now beginning to see more and more revisions coming through. And where are we at with that right now? And we're just anyone that's listening on, on the radio, we're actually recording on Wednesday, May 18th. So God knows what's happened over the proceeding 48 hours, but we'll go with where we're at today. I do appreciate that because this week we have seen it. So it's the committee of conference week. It's basically lawmakers last chance to reach their final negotiations. And these negotiations for the redistricting maps have been already going on for months and months now, as you know, AJ and I have been, have been talking about as it kind of progresses. Um, But that's a good caveat. Things definitely could change between now and Thursday. Um, But basically as of Monday, lawmakers had, agreed to a compromise map um, that would basically um, move Manchester. Um, So Manchester would move into the, let me just get the district correct. So Manchester would be in the second congressional district. It's currently in the first district. It would move into the second. That's a pretty significant shift. there was only one Democrat on the negotiating panel of um, House and Senate lawmakers on Monday. She did not support this, unsurprisingly. Um, but the real question at this point is whether Governor Sununu will be on board with it or not. He has said in the past, you know, to drafts of maps that he would he would not support them. The sort of last version of the map we were looking at was called an I quote unquote I-93 map. It kind of grouped I-93 corridors together into the first district and had sort of a horseshoe shape uh, for the second congressional district. And people didn't like the look of that map. Um, so this map kind of looks more compact, but I spoke with Dave Andrews, who is a data analyst for the da- uh, redistricting data hub. And he said that while this map looks better on its surface it in terms of partisan lean and and um, how advantageous one district is to one party it's not really significantly a different map um so the first congressional district leans um republican in this map by about 7.5 percent and the second district leans democrat um and you know dave andrew said it would make it pretty impossible for a Republican to win district two. Um, and that's been, you know, Governor Sununu's uh, qualms with the past versions of maps that we've seen is that they're not competitive. And this is gonna proceed to also put Custer and Pampas in the same district too, right? Yes, that's correct. This would also do that. <laughs> fire, and- I see chaos <laughs> and fire, and I'm excited as an evil radio host. This is just gonna be exciting <laughs> and interesting, and uh, but this is, it's really gonna cause chaos for the Democratic Party if those two are gonna have to go head to head in the primary. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to even see what they choose to do. So there's nothing that would prevent them from running in the districts they currently run in. There's not a law that you have to live in the district that you run for, but it obviously opens you up to political liability if you're if you're not um, if you don't actually live in the district that you represent. Um, so Custer lives in in Hopkinton, and Papas, I believe, is in Manchester. Um, so they, yeah, now because Manchester is moving into the second district, it would put them in the same, in the same district. 
And Republicans have said, you know, they don't want to pay attention to incumbents and, and who's, you know. Lies. I, I, I would <laughs> never, as, as, uh, as much as I love giving politicians the benefit of the doubt on the surface of such statements, I, I, I have a hard time buying that. I mean, this just looks, it, it, I, I understand wanting to put Manchester into the more blue district with the seacoast and such. Like, you can understand the rationale. They don't, they don't seem to necessarily care as much about the uh, uh, competitive factor that the, the governor is obviously very concerned about. Out, but it, it just seems so much like we're gonna we're gonna cause a little bit of chaos here. Yeah, and then at the same time, you have the Supreme Court, which you know has said if if the legislature cannot come to an agreement, if you know the the lawmakers and the the governor are not going to um, reach a final version of this map, that they will intervene and and draw a map through the court system, and they'll use what's called the least change method. So that would be a pretty different map from from this this version that we see on the on the drawing board right now at the legislature. And so again, Thursday, this Thursday will be the deadline for lawmakers to sign off on this, um, and then it'll come up next week for a vote. the The full um, House and Senate will have to vote on this to uh, to move it to the governor's desk. I'm really confused by the Republicans' ultimate angle here because the the fact that the governor isn't on board with what they've been proposing and the basically the judiciary is just going to say, screw it, we're just going to continue with what we're already doing. It, it just seems, it seems like they're putting a lot of work into this for naught. Yeah, and the governor at this point has not uh, has not said whether he supports or opposes this map. He hasn't indicated if he if he's likely to sign it. He said in in a statement that he's reviewing it, and um, so we'll we'll see. And maybe there will be more details um, by Friday. But as of as of Wednesday, as of when we're recording this, we still still a big question. Amanda Goki over the New Hampshire Bulletin. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, AJ. You're listening to WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Said You can get the latest from New Hampshire Bulletin at NewHampshireBulletin.com, NH Bulletin News on Twitter, and just search for New Hampshire Bulletin over on Facebook. All the articles we've discussed here are going to be in the episode description. If you go to NHTalkRadio.com, all the links will be there. It'll probably be at the top of the page if you're listening right now on the radio in the 6 a.m. hour on Fridays. We'll be right back after this.